Hello, and welcome to a slightly unusual episode of Unprofessional. Unfortunately, a hurricane took out the power to Lex's house. Uh, don't worry, he's okay, but since he can't record, we thought we would share with you one of the many, many pilots we made for the show. There's no guest on this one, it's just Lex and I having a conversation. But hopefully it's entertaining and gives you, our beloved listener, a look at how we got this thing started. Call it our previously unreleased beta. And since we didn't feel right booking a sponsor for this one, I'll mention that you should follow us on Twitter. We're at Unprofesh. Or you could like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash unprofesh. Or you could rate the show on iTunes. Or you could do all three, since your love and validation are the only things keeping Lex warm right now. Well, that and his 30 children. So we have a new name for the show. Indeed. We, uh, we were, at one point it was completely inappropriate. Then it was off-topic. And now, approved by the network, they really love the new name, Unprofessional. That's what we're calling the show. Right? And I think it's probably, of all the names we've had, the most recent. I, I think it's, ironically, the most professional-sounding name. Because completely inappropriate was too long. Off-topic is, I don't know, like, that could be any show anywhere. And I guess, Unprofessional, that feels like, uh, it's very much in the, the, the spirit of what we do. It feels like it's in the spirit of what the network does what meal radio does and uh it it feels like uh we have license to pretty much do whatever we want which is really what i want out of a show's title exactly as long as i can say it when as long as if anyone says man that show was completely unprofessional we can say indeed the show wasn't unprofessional because we're doing our jobs right at the moment the uh the twitter account that i set up the twitter bio says that uh, lex friedman and dave whiskus are unprofessional yeah which feels right that feels good (laughs) Very accurate, yes. So we were both at WWDC. Indeed, we were. I think I think I might have seen you there. We had we had lunch. Is that right? We were well. We were at the same lunch. I, I believe it was mostly that we drank alcoholic beverages at the same time in the same places. I remember a lunch. I, I definitely remember something about a lunch. It's possible that might have happened. It's so weird at those things because, like, I I know you were friends. We only get to see each other a couple times a year, but still, we get thrown into these situations and. Uh, it's it's hard to catch up. It's hard to find the time. Yeah. And, you know, especially WWDC is, I think, on the whole, a less social experience for me than something like uh, Macworld Expo, which is not what it's called, but that's what we all call it. Because um, you're working? Right. Because I'm working. Like, I, I didn't attend WWDC as an attendee. I was there to report on it. Whereas, you know, Expo, I go and I'm there to report on it, but, I, you know, I'm also presenting and I'm going to walk on the show floor and I'm doing, you know, it's, it's a bit, you know, I'm certainly social after hours at WWDC, but I, uh, I didn't I see know. you much. And that's, I mean, I sleep all day and then I stay out and, and party until the, the wee hours. That's not true. But I, yeah, I didn't really see you out much either. And we run in the same circles. I mean, I, we, we hung out a little bit, but. Right. I mean, I, I was out each uh, night, but pretty, when I heard that you were coming, I would usually run. No, I, I don't know. I mean, there's what I think what happens is there's just so many great people there at those events and you, you just glom onto whichever one you're with and you want to get as much of that time as you can. <laughs> I don't think that's how I describe it, but I think I, I think I know what you mean. There's just it's too many. I don't want to say too many people. It's uh, at a Macworld, Macworld Expo, whatever you call it. Uh, there's. I don't know, maybe 20 people or something that are like really awesome that you want to hang out with. And that's way easier to manage than here's 300 people that yeah. are really awesome and you want to hang out with. 
And not to mention there's all the, the effort that goes into all of these people are traveling to the same place on the same day ish. And then you spend all this time together and most of these people are from out of the city. And then suddenly everybody goes their separate ways, more travel. Uh, I guess some of the, the experience is the people you see at the airports or whatever, but it's just, I don't know. It, I haven't, I have not yet in my years of doing this found a way to make it a, a consistent, seamless experience where I get to spend as much time with everybody as I'd like to. Understood. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's tricky. I, uh, for me, it's, you know, it's three time zones away. I don't know if that's the right way to say, it, but it's three hours away. And, you know, you, so you fly across the country and that's a whole friggin' day. And then when you fly back, it's another whole friggin' day. And, you know, you just want to, you want to maximize the time that you're there since it is limited to get your total enjoyment of all the folks you're seeing. Uh, but I know there was one night that I, I did go back to my hotel early cause I was just wiped. And I knew that if I tried to stay out, then my next day would be shitty. And then my next night would be shitty. It would just be compounding shittiness. And if there's one thing you don't want to do with shit, it's compound it. No. So I, uh, I ended up going to sleep early one night and then you regret it because you know, you have a finite amount of time that you're there and you want to get the most out of it. But I still am, am happy with the decision to, to get the sleep I needed that one night. I said that I was going to do that every day. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bail early tonight and get some sleep so that I'm good for the rest of the week. And every night something would come up and I'd end up staying out late just like every other night. So I admire your ability to follow through on that. The one thing I have going for me besides, you know, my handsomeness and charm and talent, but the one thing that I have going for me is, uh, I am very good at self-discipline in the sense of if I set a challenge for myself, I like to meet it so that I can't uh, berate myself for having failed to meet it later. Oh, I'm terrible at that. I wish I had that skill. Really do. <laughs> but I think as far as uh, spending time with, with people, um, again, it's like 300 or, or whatever. But, you know, you, you I'm making up a number. You have some number of friends and acquaintances and people that you want to meet and business partners and uh, people who have written about you or people who, whom you have written about. And uh, I think I've probably spent more time with the TSA guy who was giving me my pat down on the way out than I did with any one of my friends. Do you, uh, do you always opt for the pat down versus the backscatter? But yeah, because of the quality time that I get to spend with those fine gentlemen. I mean, I have this, uh, special ability to, you know, I'll start in a line that's not going to a backscatter machine that's just using the regular <laughs> metal detector. And then by the time I get to the front, they're like, let's switch it up. And this time was actually pretty great because uh, there were two opt-outs already waiting. Um, and then they added me to the slush pile and nobody was coming. So everybody else is going through or wondering why the three terrorists are there huddled together. <laughs> and, you know, and it was two like total hippies, you know just very hippie, a, a guy and a girl. And, um, I didn't love that. I was feeling lumped in with them socially or any other means, but, um, you know, so eventually they, uh, the guy comes and, uh, the poor woman, I, she's probably still waiting there cause they could not find a female to do the, the female opt out. But he says, you know, have you done this before? And I said, Oh, I do this all the time. And I really had to stop myself from saying, you know, I just love the intimacy. Like I was going to make a joke and I, you have to remember the TSA is the wrong time to make a joke. And, I still do uh, it. I I just don't want to go to jail. But so, so he's he's doing the pat down, and he's like, "I'm going to use the back of my hands." Like it's any less invasive to have somebody put the back of their hands on, you know, whatever parts of your body or inside. To me, the inside the waistband is the worst part because I've already taken off my belt to go through the metal detector, which I ended up not even having to go through. So they didn't know about the Fitbit in my pocket. Um, but uh, 
the the risk for me, you know, with my belt off and he's putting his hands on my waistband. I've lost so much freaking weight in this year that I was really worried about mooning everyone. But it didn't happen. But when it's all done, I I you know, he says, Thank you, sir, you're free to go. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, Thank you. And I definitely said it in a way that creeped him out and made him think that I was thanking him for the intimacy of the event, which wasn't my intention, but I really enjoyed that that's what he took from it, because that's definitely what he thought I was saying. I like freaking those people out. I <laughs> I think no, I'm being dead serious. I mean, I, I don't wanna I'm not there to start shit, and I realize that these people are doing their jobs just like the Nazis were. I think that <laughs> that they're they're good people. They they probably go home and beat their wives or something. I don't know. I, just, I fucking hate these people. It's they're scum, and it's the shittiest job in the world. And I have no sympathy for them. And I I try to be a human being because I'm a human being, and I want to be a human being, and I want to assume that they also want to be human beings. So I try to be friendly to them as much as I possibly can. But the second they cross that line with me, all bets are off. If they do the, you know, hey, yeah, come on over. And they just like, you know, this is part of the job, whatever. And then they start explaining things politely or they seem apologetic or friendly about it. Then I make things as easy as I can for them. And I'm as friendly as I can be because we all just want to go about our day. But if they start down the path of, you know how safe these machines are, right? Oh, then, sure. Then fuck them. I'm done. Then, then I'm going to make life as hard as I possibly can. And I do have one policy that I will not yield on, which is that um, in addition to always getting the pat down, I, I refuse to go through those machines. I always opt for a private screening because I have the right to a private screening. And the reason I do this isn't because I'm concerned about privacy. It's because if they're going to waste my time, I'm going to waste twice as much of theirs. Interesting. I've never said yes when they ask if I want to do it in private because I don't want to waste my own time. So do you intentionally get to the airport a little extra early to account for that time? Uh, no, it doesn't really take any longer. It takes like maybe a minute. It's really not bad. Yeah. And I, I fly so much, I've got status on all the airlines, so I, I blow through the airport pretty quickly anyway. Right. I mean, I do, I do that part, but it's the, you know, even if you get to the front of the security line, I, I never see any private room. So I figure it's got to be like a 10-minute walk in each direction, but I guess you're saying it's not. No, no, they uh, they don't put you in a special car or anything like that. <laughs> you know, the, I'll, I'll tell you, I uh, I agree with you that I, I hate it. And I, I mean, I opt out for both um, health and... Um, uh, you know, personal civil liberty reasons, but I don't begrudge the folks who are doing their jobs, their jobs. I mean, in an ideal world, I would love if they could join the protest against the, you know, the, the horrors of uh, personal liberty that uh, the TSA inflicts upon us for no reason at all. Um, if they protest that by, you know, quitting their jobs, but somebody else is just going to apply to take those jobs. You know, I, I don't begrudge people earning a living, um, because I feel like they probably are, most of them aren't qualified to do much else. And if they got this job <laughs> and it's inside and it's air conditioned and, you know, I can't blame them. Um, so I'm going to disagree with you that, uh, you know, that I, that, that they're the scum of the earth they're the worst people on the planet. Cause I mean, I, I hate them and I hate, but I mostly, I hate their bosses who ask them to do this. They could find other things for those people to do that would actually make us safer. Um, but, uh, I don't hate them for doing it. I would love I would love for them to focus on things that made us safer. Oh, that'd Take, be great. Taking off my belt, taking off my shoes, those things don't make us any safer. Right. It and, makes us sexier, but it doesn't make us safer. Yeah, especially well, pants falling down, what could be sexier? Yeah. I've I've often spent my time while standing there waiting for my private screening or standing there with my palms up, legs spread slightly apart, going through their their TSA lap dance routine. I've often spent that time thinking about what I could actually do to circumvent security once I was through. Yeah. And I won't go into any of that here because that is not what this show is about. But I think the, that it's... It would it's, be terribly easy. 
It, yeah, incredibly easy. And uh, easy enough that it makes me angry that they put me through this crap under the guise of making me feel more secure. I think that's what upsets me. And maybe it's because I travel so much. Yeah. I'm always on an airplane, so I'm always dealing with these people. When they, Whenever they start their, their routine now of, okay, do you have any medical... I just start like listing the things off. Like, yes, I know to stand with my legs spread slightly apart. Yes, I know my palms need to go up. Yes, I know I need to face away from you. Yes, I know that you'll be running your fingers on the inside of my belt. And I said, blah, blah, blah. And I go through the whole thing before they can. And I do that to let them know, like, let's just get this over with. Right. And, and they always do the, oh, you, you must do this a lot. Yeah, about once a week. <laughs> I, fly, I fly a lot. And, uh, yeah, I go through this, this little dance routine quite a bit. The, um, the only thing I, I try to do regularly when, when they're about to start the routine uh, is see if I can get a very, very prominent erection. That's why one. <laughs> I thought that was just your policy when you met people. Yeah, exactly. When, pretty much whenever I'm dealing with someone I don't know, it's a, it's a great way to break the ice, sometimes <laughs> literally. <laughs> so that's. Uh, well, you want to show off. This is like, I guess this, this does. I was going to say that maybe I just crossed into the completely inappropriate, but I guess that's unprofessional too. So I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very works. unprofessional. Yeah. Uh, you don't travel all that much, do you? Oh, I, I mean, I guess that's true now. That was one of the motivations for me uh, moving to Macworld. Uh, when I worked for uh, Demand Media, I was traveling from Newark to uh, L.A. all the time. Sometimes it, my most frequent was, you know, once a month. And that's a big trip to make once a month, especially with kids at home. Yeah. Uh, but I guess for Macworld, I probably go to San Francisco now two or three times a year. That's not too bad. No, not at all. I do some traveling into New York, but that's not air travel. That's bus travel. Yeah, it's not not as bad. At least with a bus, you don't have to deal with TSA and yet, yet, yeah, yet. It's nice overseas when you travel because when you come back to the states, they have things that they make you do. Um, but at least within Europe or when I was in Australia, they 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 seem so much more reasonable about security. It, it seems like their interest is, is genuinely to try to make things safer rather than to try to make you feel like they're trying to make things safer, which is nice. I flew, I flew from London to Amsterdam once and, uh, I took off my shoes while I was in the line and they laughed at me <laughs> just pure force of habit. They laughed at me. They said, you must be American. I, you know, when I see now the rules are the kids don't have to take off their shoes and the elderly don't have to take off their shoes, which is, by the way, even stupider than making people take off their shoes in the first place. Um, but so now when I see kids or the elderly taking off their shoes, I have to strongly resist the urge to correct them because the only thing like I guess I don't hate it more than I hate the TSA. But something that I hate equally is trying to deal with strangers in the airport who don't know what they're doing um, <laughs> because they cause me so much anger that I try to just <laughs> I try I force myself to bite my tongue although I'm definitely the kind of person who if I see somebody making if there's some way that I can politely coach a person who is making a mistake in public in a way that I can improve their life or that moment for them I'm willing to do it but in, in, when we're in the line of TSA I just fuck it if you're going to take off your shoes and be an idiot because you're not reading the signs fine your kids can waste their time I have like a travel zen that I get into I used to be really prone to to getting stressed out when I travel now I only get stressed out if I'm traveling with other people who don't travel very often. Right. I can I can deal with strangers and I can deal with their stuff and I can deal with like rushing from one gate to another gate, the TSA, the lines, all of that stuff. I just kind of like go into travel zen mode and I'm fine because I know exactly what to expect. Um, the one, I guess the one exception to this was when I flew back from Europe this last time. I, for various personal reasons and, and uh, maybe it was the, the long flight, I don't know. Uh, but getting on that plane, 
I sat down and like the the previous week, everything had just kind of caught up to me and I was squeezed up against the side of the plane with two strangers next to me. And I just went into a full on panic attack as really? much as, yeah, as much as I like to think that I've got my stuff together when I fly, this was, this was a moment when I very clearly did not. And there was, there was some personal stuff going on, whatever, but I, yeah, I went into a full on panic attack and I ran off the plane. Literally got into the aisle. I assume this was before takeoff, and you literally ran off the plane. <laughs> I jumped. Yeah, uh, before takeoff, which was probably smart. Did you grab your carry-ons and stuff, or did you leave those on the plane? Well, I only that's had like extra terroristic. Yeah, I only had my my laptop bag, my uh, um, my water field. Okay, which I, which I love very much. Uh, I I grabbed my laptop bag and I I asked the people to excuse me, and I got up and I I ran, and I saw the door was still open and. Um, the flight attendants like are staring at me and I just run off the plane and I stand outside, like right outside in a little walkway thing. And they come out and they're like, are you okay? What's going on? And yeah, I think maybe their first in- instinct is you see somebody running off a plane right before takeoff. You're thinking, Hey, what did they leave on the plane? Right. For the rest of us to discover. So they grab me and they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? And I'm trying to explain, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm just having a panic attack. I can't be on this plane right now. Can you put me on a later flight? Can you do anything at all? I just want to get off this plane. I can't be on this plane right now. And uh, they they see that I'm saying I'm not probably going to kill anybody. And so they're trying to calm me down. They're trying to say, you know, it's it's going to be all right. You just please, you know, can we can we find some way so to get you, you back? You're shedding on this plane? tears at this moment. Uh, not quite. I was almost there. You I was can almost, admit it. You, you can tell us. <laughs> no, I would okay. admit it. I absolutely admit it because it would be funny. But no, I was not crying. <laughs> I'm I'm standing there though, and I'm trying to explain to these people what a panic attack is because I'm I'm flying out of uh, uh, Schiphol in in Holland, and they they're all Dutch, which means they're very polite, but maybe certain things don't translate very well. Like when I say panic attack, I'm not entirely sure they know what a panic attack is. Right. I mean, they're, maybe they're they... probably honing in on attack. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Okay, good point. Uh, no, they they were they're they're asking like what I needed, and I'm trying to explain like I feel like I'm being buried alive right now. I, and having five of you fuckers standing here asking me what's wrong and what you can do is not helping me. I really need everybody just to back off and let's please get me on another plane. And finally they have everybody backs away and the captain comes up to me and he says, you know, what, what can we do? What can we, you know, we've been talking to you. We think that you're okay to fly. We think that you just, this is all heavily down. accented English, right? Run mildly accented. English. Okay. And it's like, we, we think you'll be okay to fly. What can we, what can we do here? And then it comes out like, yeah, we can, we can't make you fly. We can't make you get on this plane, but your luggage was checked. And if we deboard you, we have to deboard your luggage and that's going to, that's going to delay us even further. And, you know, we'd really rather not do that. Is there anything we can do to convince you that you're okay to fly? Because we think you are. And it's a lot of back and forth. And I'm like, I really don't think so. I really, and they like, what if we did this? I'm like, well, no, I like, I just really want to get off this plane. Well, what if we did this? And it goes back and forth several, several rounds. And then finally, what, they give what me, kind of things could they offer? Was it like an upgrade to first class or a different seat? What are they offering? Well, they, they go through their list and I'm, I'm like not even right. paying any, any attention because I'm not like holding out for something better. I just want to get off the plane and they give me a minute to like, think about it. And finally I just say, yeah, I'll get on the plane. Fine. And this is when all of those things that I wasn't listening to, uh, sort of surface. And I spent that flight uh, in first class with eight feet of leg room, nobody on either side of me. I, I had a dedicated flight attendant who, no, <laughs> no joke, looked exactly like Taylor Swift. Uh, I, I was being waited on hand and foot. About three hours into the flight, they invited me into the galley with all the flight attendants, and I was just hanging out with them. And for the last three hours of the flight, I was wow. hanging out in the cockpit sitting behind the pilot. The, the, I mean, just the free first class upgrade is enough for me. But... I, 
Oh, dude. Yeah. The food is so much better. I have Wait, no how idea. can you have no idea? You're not getting upgrades all the time <laughs> with all your miles? Or are you going on flights that are too jam-packed to get the upgrades? No, I'm always on uh, like short domestic flights. I always fly Frontier. And their first class is like, here's four more inches of legroom and a cookie. Not quite the same thing. But yeah, the first class international, that was nice. Especially when right. most of it was spent sitting in the cockpit. And I remember being like, like given the first class meal while I'm sitting in the, the cockpit. Because funny thing... I'm sitting there and I'm wearing a, an Apple jacket and the, the captain sees the Apple logo and he's like, oh, do you work for Apple? Like, no, I, I design software. I work for another company, but we, we work closely with Apple. And he's asking me all these questions about what it's like to deal with Apple. What, what are Apple employees like? Have I ever been to the campus? And I guess he had just bought an iPad a couple of weeks prior. And he was, that was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to him. He was going on about how much he loved his iPad. And that's all he wanted to talk about for three hours. Wow. So it, it got to a point where he's like, wow, you, it sounds like you have the coolest job ever. And I'm like, if you turn about 45 <laughs> degrees, you, you're flying a plane right now. Right. I, I'm not sure that I'm going to win coolest job at this moment. And I asked him, I said, you know, you guys had every right to, to be rude to me or, or you know, tell me to, to, to you know, shove something somewhere. I mean, I was being a jerk. I was sort of being wrapped up in my own stuff in my own head. Uh, and I was selfish, and I delayed this flight, which can't be cheap. And he looks at me and he goes, well, we love our customers, and you were having a wow. bad day, and we thought we could make it better. So for anybody out there who's planning to fly to Europe, fly KLM. Those people are amazing. Kindness, love, and magic. That's what it stands for, right? My bar for customer service is way higher now. Yeah. You know, I, um, like I was saying, you know, I used to do this, this L.A. Uh, Newark flight all the time. And the only airline that offers a direct non-shitty flight for that is, is or was Continental. Now I guess it's Continental United. And, it, you know, you could – so many people who make that New York – because they call Newark the airport for New York and New Jersey. But so many people who make that New York, L.A. commute think of it – so many people do it and do it regularly that it – they have to they don't just board the elite passengers first they there are half the plane or more is elite on a lot of those especially like you know the monday morning or the friday afternoon flights um so they have to board by elite tiers which you almost never see so it's like you know okay so people who are silver can go and now people who are gold can go and now people who are platinum can go because and it's um yeah, Frontier does that too. The, you know, the, the reason people, you know, sometimes they're, I guess even my parents did this when it wasn't an issue, um, you know, 15 years ago. There's, you know, the anal retentive travelers who start standing up and hovering around the boarding lines as soon as, uh, as soon as it looks like they're going to start boarding. And mm -hmm. people are like, why do they care? You know, what's they, they're going to get called at a specific time. What is the rush? And now there is a rush, right? Now there's a rush because they charge for suitcases. So more people are checking bags than ever. And, or I'm sorry, more people are not checking eyes than ever trying to shove them into the uh, overhead bins. And so overhead bin space is at a premium. And if you're traveling without any checked luggage and you only have that overhead bag and they run out of room, then they're going to gate check your bag. And now you've, you're screwed because you packed in a smaller bag and you fit everything in. And now you still have to go to baggage claim and wait on that stuff. Uh, so that's why, you know, that's why I always grab around, <laughs> but that, that LA flight was just miserable because it was always full and it was full of you know frequent travelers who all had t 
tons of stuff with them and we're trying to shove it all in the overhead bins and they always, you know i would usually be able to to put my thing in the overhead bin no problem but then you have to wait for an extra half an hour before the plane can take off as people fight with the flight attendants over whether they should have to gate check and you know well i i should have been boarding first because this guy shouldn't have boarded first so take his bag out instead of mine and it was just you know it's also a lot of la people which just makes it even worse but it was uh i hated that flight mm. the san francisco oh, yeah. flight is definitely a much more uh relaxed vibe that luggage thing that I, I think people don't understand maybe people who don't fly enough i don't know there, there's this attitude that you should always do carry on you should never check your bag and i think that's bad math and i think it's bad math because if you ignore the time you spend arguing over gate checking the fact that you're you know at least 30 percent of the time going to end up gate checking your bag anyway the time that you spend trying to get your bag shoved up into the overhead bin uh, the, the time that you spend trying to find an overhead bin, the time that you spend getting back to the overhead bin to get your bag and struggling to get it down. I don't think that any of that adds up to being you better than just going and waiting five minutes for your bag. <laughs> I, I, no, that's, I mean, that's I, fair. I, and I appreciate I, it I because don't. you're leaving slightly more room for me in the overhead bins. I've literally, I mean, I, you know, I probably, I'm trying to think if I can do the math, you know, I, I probably flew at least, 35 or more times maybe 40 times for that that flight back and forth and never only one time that i have to 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 gate check and every other time i just fit my bags in the overhead bin and to me it's especially it's great on the coming home side because i'm coming home and usually for me it's you know when i was coming home from san francisco from wwc it's i have this my kids are going to go to bed and they can maybe the older two can maybe last until 7:45 or 8 p.m. but after that they're really going to start falling apart and the plane's supposed to land at 4:45 it landed a little bit closer to 5 p.m. and i've got to get off the plane take the shuttle to long-term parking and then drive in this case it was to philadelphia i have to drive home from philadelphia to new jersey and it's going to be rush hour traffic so can i get there before bedtime so i get to see them that day because usually when i'm away we video chat or facetime or whatever each day and on the travel day since i left on friday morning there hadn't been any time so the only way i was going to get to see him that day was if i got home before bedtime and to me the I think that baggage claim always takes, especially if you're near the front of the plane or if you're flying an elite way. So your bags are going to come off first, but you still have to wait for everything to happen. You know, I feel like it's 10, 15 minutes till the bags even start spinning on the conveyor belts most of the time. Uh, to me, those 10, 15 minutes were very precious. And I got home before the kids went to bed. And I had I had said to my wife ahead of time before I was boarding, I said, you know, I'm, I'm only in the third boarding tier because I was flying Virgin, which I don't usually fly, so I don't have enough points there. Um, you know, if, if, they, uh, if they forced me to gate check, I don't think I'm going to make it. But they didn't, and I made it, so I was very happy. So I, I hate you and your baggage claim loving ways. That's what <laughs> I'm trying to say. It goes back to my travel zen thing. And part of why I can go through an airport and not be stressed about anything is because I'm not carrying a bag around with me. I drop my bag off when I, like, I walk into the airport, I check my bag, I get my ticket, I go through security, and then I'm free. Between then and whenever I need to get on that plane, I can do whatever I want. I don't have anything holding, I don't have any extra weight holding me down. I carry a 13-inch MacBook Air, and that weighs nothing. It's effectively just another device in my pocket at that point. There's no bag I have to drag around. There's no thing I need to hoist up or find room for i'm just walking around like i like i'm at the mall or something and it's really easy for me to tune everything else out when i'm not lugging something around and the time when i land the the time spent waiting at baggage claim and certain airports are better than others about this but like whenever i land dia by the time i'm up to baggage claim i maybe maybe wait five minutes for my bag so at least for me coming home that's always the easiest part uh but that that five minutes or even if it is 10 minutes uh or 15 minutes that's the time I spend like checking my mail or checking up on Twitter after the flight because I've been in airplane mode for two or three hours or whatever it is. 
Like I kind of, I fill that time and I understand if you've got somewhere that you absolutely need to be, how critical that can be. Uh, but for me, I just, I would so much rather not have to think about things and not have to worry about things. How I stay sane. Uh, I guess that's true. Stay sane. Seems a little other than freaking out and running off of airplanes and scaring people. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, um, you know, the thing, you know, my wife hates traveling. I know a lot of, you know, my, my in-laws hate traveling. My mom hates traveling, but I feel like if you do it a lot, especially if you do it a lot in a short amount of time. So it's not like, you know, I've done 30 flights over 30 years, but you really do a lot of traveling in a condensed amount of time. You realize that it's actually very mundane and most of it is very predictable and you can get very good at it. You know, my, my strategy is always to, to get to the airport in the amount of time where I'll, I'll park and I'll take the shuttle and I'll go through security and I'll, you know, have time to, uh, you know, have time to either get a snack or go to the bathroom or both and then get in line and get on the plane. I, I want no time to sit in the airport. I like it to be, and I don't feel stressed or rushed about it. I'm just, I know I, I, everything outside the airport is more fun than everything inside the airport. So I'd rather, you know, spend as little time there as I can make work. And, you know, nervous travelers or infrequent travelers are pretty much exactly the opposite. You know, get me to the airport three hours before I take off for this 30 minute commuter flight. And I, I, uh, to me, that's crazy. Yeah, I can't, I can't live that way. I show up to the airport at the last possible minute most of the time. Have you ever missed a flight because you were late to the airport? Once. And it wasn't my fault. (laughs) I I will say the one time that I thought I was going to miss a flight was actually, uh, not 2012's Macworld iWorld conference exposition, but the year before 2011, which was my first Macworld expo. Uh, there was a, you know, the forecast said that it was going to snow in the afternoon and the late afternoon, but my flight was two something. So I was feeling good. But when I woke up, it was snowing. So I called Continental and I said, you know, it looks like you have a noon flight. Can I switch to the noon flight? And they said, sure, there's room. We'll put you on the noon flight. Uh, but then it's still just snowing and it's accumulating and it's still, you know, just 7.30 in the morning, maybe even a little bit earlier. It kind of sounded like you were saying nude flight. Noon. Noon. The 12 p.m. flight. Okay. And I would have taken a nude flight. Um, but so I, uh, the snow's still falling. I'm getting nervous. And I call up and say, it looks like you guys have a, a 9.40 flight. Can I take that? And they said, yes. But it's, remember, it's 7.30. And I, this was Newark Airport. It's 45 minutes to Newark. And it's really snowing heavily. And there's a lot of snow on the ground. So I rush out the door and start heading to the airport and it takes forever because you know the the new jersey turnpike this fast moving highway is not plowed and you can't see any lane markings and there's you know stalled cars and crashed cars literally on both sides of the highway and i uh i make it through and it's uh i get to the airport and it gets much worse at the airport itself because i have to drive two miles to airport parking um, and there, there aren't even other cars ahead of me. Now it's just me and no tire tracks to try to put my wheels in or anything. And the only cars I pass are literally ones that have pulled off to the side of the road or crashed into things on the side of the road. Every once in a while, you'll see a police car who's rushing to the aid of one of those people, but I'm just, you know, I'm driving and I have pretty much no control. I went through two red lights and I'm going through these red lights at five miles an hour and there's no other cars around. So it wasn't a big deal, but I, you know, I just couldn't get the car to stop. And I finally get to the parking lot and then I have to, I park the car and I get out and I'm waiting for the shuttle and it's freezing and I'm just getting snowed on. And you're like, maybe the shuttles aren't even running. I noticed I didn't see any. And finally, after about a half an hour, it's there. And now it's the shuttle picks me up at the time the flight's supposed to be boarding. 
it obviously drives slowly to get to the airport. I get there. I'm going through the security line. I'm in the, you know, the elite traveler security line, but it's still a huge line. And I'm asking people, can I go in front of you? Can I go in front of you? And this one guy says, sure, go in front of me. Uh, but just so you know, they issued a ground stop. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, there, you know, no fl- planes are allowed to take off or leave for the next uh, X hours. Said, well, then I don't have to get in front of you. So eventually the, the plane did take off and I got there and I was there on time. And the, the only sad coda to that story, which was definitely the scariest drive of my life, was when I got back to the airport and I went back to my car, I couldn't get out of the spot because they had done all their plowing and there were, you know, six, six or seven feet of snow blocking my car in. And I'm trying to shovel it. I didn't have a, you know, I hadn't thought to take a snow brush or, um, you know, a pick or anything with me. And so I'm trying to use my hands to shovel the snow out from behind the tires and I can't do it. I, I mean, I had nothing. I, I like a guitar know. pick. Yes. No, like an ice pick, like a, you oh, know, a scraper, oh. an ice scraper. Gotcha. Um, and I'm, but I, I have nothing. I have no tools and no talent. And I'm trying to get my car out of there and I can't do it. And I call up my wife and I'm like, Lauren, I literally don't know how I'm going to get home. I can't get my car out. Uh, and then like uh, in, in a movie, there would have been a choir singing ah, in the background. I saw this emergency phone in the distance, still within the parking lot. So I'm like, I, this qualifies as an emergency. I'm stuck in the parking lot. So I go to the emergency phone and I say, I'm stuck. And they say, stay right there. A car pulls up with four women in it. And uh, (laughs) one of the manliest, scariest uh, black women I have ever seen comes out. And she was, you know, I I don't know how well I can describe it, but she was basically made of muscle. And she gets out and she has a shovel. She sends the car away. She says, I'll call you guys when I'm ready. She shovels it out for about five minutes. And she says, now, get in the car. And I want you to slam on the gas in reverse. She said, your instinct's going to be to slow. You're, she's, is this what you're, you're going to want to pussyfoot it. But don't you pussyfoot this motherfucker. You're going to get in that car and you're going <laughs> to slam on the gas in reverse and get out. Because if you pussyfoot it, then I've got to shovel you out all over again. And I just did it. And I said, okay. So it was Samuel L. Jackson and drag. Yes. I slam on the gas and I back out and I get out. And she comes out and she's like, we're going to high five now. We high five. And I said, listen, I have no idea if I'm supposed to tip you or not, but I feel like you just saved my life. So here's $20. And she said, you're not supposed to tip me, but I'm taking it. And uh, <laughs> I went home and it was great. And I have no, I don't know if that lady even really existed or if it was just a figment of my imagination, but I got home and it was really, it was an experience. You know, what you should have done gone in the cockpit. You should have had an erection to help break the ice. <laughs> 